and welcome to the What For Jazz Junction podcast. I'm Chris. And today I'm chatting with Anthony Kerr. So it's time to vibe. Hello, 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 and welcome to the third episode of Series 8 of the What For Jazz Junction podcast. And all things festive are in the air. As always, if you like what you hear, do let a friend know and make sure you subscribe or one of our weekly episodes might pass you by without a listen, and someone somewhere might miss out. And you can visit our lovely website at watfordjazzjunction.com whenever you like, and to book tickets to see our gigs here in lovely Watford. Uh, next up, the Tony Kofi Quintet and their portrait of Cannibal Adderley on the 12th of February. Now, to business. Today, I am joined by a most excellent vibes player, Professor of Jazz Vibraphone at the Royal College of Music, and a further musical coach at the Royal Academy and the Guildhall, a musical collaborator and partner extraordinaire with a back catalogue of work with everyone from Charlie Watts to Cleo Lane, Benny Golson to George Shearing. It can only be the very lovely Anthony Kerr. Anthony, hello. How Hi. are you? Hi, Chris. I'm very well. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm tip top. Now, what the, what, what the listeners do not know is that we are here in person. We're here in physical three dimensions, actually, yeah. in the same place. It's uh, it's unusual, right? Well, yeah. I, I mean, actually, it feels like you're further away than you really are because my car wouldn't uh, isn't behaving itself. So I walked down to oh, you today. No. <laughs> I can imagine okay. a car and a vibraphone go together like a coffee cup and a saucer. Well, yeah, you're you're um, when your car breaks, yeah. you it's you're less able to replace it with any old car because you need an estate car or a flatbed truck. That would do it as well. Yeah. <laughs> so what's but, happened to yours? Is it, is oh, it aged a bit? No, it's very old. I don't know what's happened to it. It's to... just not going properly and <laughs> making sounds. It's lost power and it's making clanking sounds. I don't know. All right, well, to all, to all the mechanics out there and the jazz-friendly <laughs> mechanics, Anthony Kerr needs you. So I had a very nice walk down to you today and it's a lovely day here in Watford. And this is just something that I started doing in lockdown. Yeah. And it continued now that things have reopened. And during the first lockdown, there was no normal life. Normally, you get, I get quite a lot of exercise just with normal life, moving the vibraphone, walking around, going into, going into London on the train, you walk around, you just get... You get to move quite a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were all quite concerned with health uh, for obvious reasons at the beginning of the lockdown. And you know, so I tried to make sure I got out every day and got used the pedometer on the phone, trying to get <laughs> 10,000 steps every day. So we've got near we've got 7,000 already today. So the car not working has a, has a plus side. Oh, oh, getting exactly. to my next gig, I'm not sure it'd be quite such a plus side. And a finer example of, of musical health, I cannot imagine, Anthony, than your your physical presence. Um, but what did you discover uh, when you've been walking around Watford? Because I've been a bit like you. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that road was there or that lane was there. I presume this is a story told the world over at the minute. Well, I suppose so. I mean, I moved to Watford 21 years ago. Ooh. And I really, I had no connection or previous connection with Watford at all. Yeah. It was just a strategic choice. I had that map open. I'm just thinking, where can I get? A, where can I afford a place to live that I can park beside my home? <laughs> uh, and and I needed. I had at the time. I had uh, early starts. 10 a.m. starts in Birmingham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, every couple of weeks at Pebble Mill. With, All right. With the the BBC big so band. Wogan and so Pitch I didn't. Washington. So well, that sort of that sort of was like. 
informing which side of London you live on because you don't want to live southeast if you've got to get to Birmingham in the morning and and I had some teaching at Harrow and of course then I just needed access to airports and access to the West End and access to motorways and just to be well placed for whatever random gigs came in and so I chose Watford and and a fair and a fairer town you couldn't have chosen. Well, I mean, the thing is, it's I had very little connection with the town itself for a long, long time. I was just yeah. basically living here, yeah. but putting my stuff in the car and driving away all the time to do it. Never did a gig here or anything. And it's only just really in the last, well, really since the lock since lockdown that I'm starting to make me a bit more local life as well, which yeah. is something that's much more healthy. And I think, well, we're all looking at the environment and climate and the impact of using cars and the implications of that sort of a lifestyle and really I want to be more local mm. I want to be much more local I mean it's a, it, it's a lot here there's a lot in Watford that's amazing yeah I mean I think you've referenced a few things there that I think have come out in a really positive sense of the pandemic experience which is a discovering your community in the locale but b the fact that there's an environmental relationship when you're discovering the place you live because you are normally on foot or on two wheels. And then that sort of third part of it, the general sense of well-being. Not on two, not on two wheels very much. No. Are you not? No, yeah, no, are you no, a unicyclist? <laughs> yeah, just the one. <laughs> I've just got this vision of you with the no, microphone no. on your back. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what um, I mean? Yeah, I, I, I think we all, we all got just thinking about health and we all had to make some decisions. And... and it, it it sort of made a lot of us realise just how unhealthy the previous lifestyle had been mm. before the lockdown. Just we're, I mean, we're all, as human beings, we're adaptable animals, so we get used to doing what we have to do. And what I have had to do is a lot of driving sort of three hours to somewhere and then rehearsing and then doing a gig and then driving the three hours back again. Mm. And during lockdown, that wasn't what I was doing. I was getting up at dawn, four o'clock, yeah. and going for a walk in Wimdale Woods at quarter to five. It was just, I mean, it was just like a world, the parallel world that, that we didn't normally, musicians, nighttime people don't normally get to, to enjoy the health of the early morning, for yeah. example. Now, Georgina uh, Jackson, um, who I know is a friend of yours, was on a few series back, and she was saying, Something along the lines of it's been a real blessing if you're a musician just for the world to stop in a moment and, and to catch yeah. up and, and to yeah. see the world anew. Um, but there was something else I was listening to on the radio this morning, which may be disturbing for your average jazz musician, but the suggestion that if you're in bed by 10 p.m., you will live a heart healthier life. And if you can do that regularly. Now, this course isn't an option open to your average jazz <laughs> no, troubadour, we're doomed. is it? We're doomed you to know? early graves. Yeah. Just purely staying up later. That <laughs> if you're still awake after 10, you're doomed, right? Yeah, your circadian <laughs> rhythms are thrown forever. But uh, I, I don't know what to make of those sort of sound bites. I mean, I definitely, I did feel healthier. Mm. I, I, I did feel it, it was a healthier life living being awake, being up with the sun and going to bed when the sun goes down. It's definitely healthier. But got to live, got to work, you got to do your thing. Um, too bad, really. Yeah. <laughs> unless, <laughs> unless all the gigs go at lunchtime. <laughs> it wouldn't have a Lunchtime gigs would be... Well, that's the thing. Do you ever, I'd like do you ever that. play lunchtime gigs and yeah. get the same sort of evening vibe? Do you feel... Yeah, well, as, well, while you're playing, yeah, yeah of course. In the yeah. same. I mean, while you're playing. Yeah. Everything else around it is different, but... 
Well, let's hope that what the law takes away with uh, reduced sleeping hours uh, <laughs> is replaced by the general well-being of being able to play, even if it is at two. In I the don't morning. think. I don't think it's really. A lot is made about how unhealthy the lifestyle is. I don't think it's because it's late. Mm. I think it's because it changes. Like, like, for example, I think if you consistently got to bed late, like let's say 2 a.m. and got a full eight hours sleep through yeah. to 10 a.m. and nothing woke you up at eight o'clock, <laughs> you know, and you actually got quite a good quality sleep right through, it would probably be... I don't know. It's probably maybe the darker part of the night is better. I think I've heard that from sleep scientists that the dark there is something to do with darkness yeah. that's good. But if you could get it, I mean, like I used to when when I used to do Ronnie Scott's the old hours, the old club, yeah, the old regime late. at Ronnie's, it was really really late. I mean, you didn't. I would buy the Sunday papers yeah. before starting work on Saturday. Wow. Okay, that's you, a good sign of how late. Yeah, yeah this is sort of you, you, post eleven really, p.m. Yeah, you, yeah. You, so you go get the Sunday papers in the West End early, you know, Saturday night, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you go to work. Crazy. <laughs> and hey? the, I mean, I could do two gigs. I could do if I get was depping on a show. I could then just just make it, just sort of jog up the road mm. and do the two sets because you wouldn't be going on until quarter to eleven. Yeah, no, it's late. And the second set you'd go on uh, quarter past one. Mm. On the weekend, and I found that, and we we with Georgie Fame we would do a three week residency there, three and it was always in September. It was always at the time that the seasons were changing, uh, so it was a bit of a battering for the body just to have all those late nights as it gets cold and and. But I found that the way to stay healthy and the way to enjoy it and the way to thrive during those three weeks was to just completely displace the body clock. Go on. So, so okay, you, you do the first night, right? And mm. then wake up the next morning. And I would the way to succeed would be just force myself to stay in bed, even though I didn't want to. And just stay there. Get as much rest as possible. And yeah. displace the body clock. So eventually you're, you're sleeping in until 1 or 2 o'clock. And then by the time it's 10 o'clock at night, you're really ready to go. You're buzzing. Yeah, ready to go. And <laughs> not tired at the end of the second set. Just, you know, ready to hang out a little bit. And, and what, what, you know, whilst we're talking about that sort of lifestyle, it's often gone hand in hand with, you know, smoking and drinking and your dark glasses type principle. Do you find that, did you, have you noticed a shift as perhaps... Uh, the jazz world is slightly more re-civilized so you're less likely to go on at one in the morning you know i know that that still happens at Ronnie's obviously because they've got a late show but mm. broadly you're as you know as a main act you're going to be going on slightly earlier in the evening but have you also found there's been a change with people you know drinking less or looking after themselves better or is that just down to i the think individual? so I, I mean i never really I, I, all the musicians have almost all of them looked after themselves always mm. have looked after mm. themselves really well yeah, that's I think interesting. That it's just a massive myth, really. I don't quite know what to say. No, 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 it's not, there's but, not a lot uh, to say, but I just think it's yeah, interesting, yeah. isn't it? That space where I mean, you can romanticise well, yeah. the late night jazz club, and often it's associated, you know, with having, you know, pushing through and drinking it, the whiskey. When did the smoking ban come in? How long ago was that? Oh, that's 2007, ago, so it's like 14 years ago. Okay, so like it was like 14 years. Wow. And people still talk about smoky jazz clubs. Yeah, exactly. Like, like they have to go together. You have to have pollutants in the air when you have the music. <laughs> it's just, it wouldn't sound the same if the air is clean to breathe. Oh, absolutely. You know? yeah. 
<laughs> it's it's, it's really amazing to think back. It is amazing to think because I used to come home stinking from yeah. gigs in the smoking days. It was terrible. Yeah. I'd open up the vibraphone case the next day and there was a sort of foam cover. Yeah. And it's all the cigarette smoke was soaked into that mm. and just yeah. you know, it feels like a hundred years ago. It feels like another universe yeah. that, that can only be a good thing I think for because if that's your you know there's no choice you know it's your professional environment and it's exactly the one that, yeah. that we yeah. all know famously as you know jazz circles at Roy Castle suffered from so yeah personally yeah. so that can only be a good thing so well, there's more awareness isn't there than there was before which is funny because I was thinking about the tune a foggy day the other night I was playing a foggy day yeah, yeah. what to say about that tune introduce it and well, London really did have these terrible fogs and before our time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and then they brought in the Clean Air Act in the 50s and nobody was allowed to burn. That must have been horribly inconvenient sure. for people. What do you mean I can't burn this stuff? What do you mean I can't say? Well, it must have been terribly inconvenient, but we needed to do it in order to get the air clean and... And we're sort of facing the same thing now as I think about my old banger of a car and the ULES <laughs> zone in London and yeah, right. the, you know all the all these all these sort of things. Uh, but there's there is much more awareness of 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 such things as air pollution. So hopefully it'll be all the streets that are clean, not just inside the clubs. Yeah, yeah. And the world will be a healthier, better place for us. Yeah, but I mean, you you'd probably be passively smoking about. 20 a day in the old days if you're working every five nights a week you know it'd probably Gosh. be equivalent yeah i was talking to someone at the weekend you remember the trains and the planes it was it was literally pervasive yeah yeah it? and probably worse for for blowers for trumpet players and saxophone players who would that be true i don't know maybe maybe not i don't know maybe not because there's, there's a lot of physical well yeah exactly breathless. unless you're not breathing you're going, when you're you going play. on the vibraphone you're moving around a lot <laughs> so you have to breathe in a lot yeah or so yeah we'll, we'll come on to like the physical air. mechanics of vibraphony <laughs> whatever we're going to call it in a while yeah. um so there's something anthony that tells me in your accent that you're not from around these parts no so I'm you've not. been here for 21 years no i didn't but come where, from where, here. where? No. from Bel- where did you come belfast Ah, right. Belfast. Yeah, I don't. Have been there? Nope. But I think this makes you one of our first no. Northern Irish guests, if not the first. Well, the thing about a place like Belfast is that, and there are a lot of places in, in jazz terms mm. like like Belfast, in that they have a small scene and they'll have a small number of really really good players. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But they play with each other all the time, uh. and there's not, and they get a little bit isolated, and you end up confronted with this decision of. Do I stay here? Yeah. Or do I leave? Actually, what I'm saying applies a bit more to Dublin than Belfast because when I moved down to Dublin, that there was a really nice little scene there and I was playing with Louis Stewart who was just, you know, unbelievable, inspiring absolutely everybody and sort of a handful, a nucleus of really, really good people. But actually, maybe this is a particularly Irish case of it is the isolation. We are yeah. more isolated than an equivalent place in Scotland because if you're in an equivalent place in Scotland, you can hop on a bus and Correct. come yeah, down yeah, and yeah. Fe- hear someone in a festival or, or come to Ronnie's or whatever. Yeah. But we are more cut off there. And yeah. so then you are faced with this choice of, well, am I going to stay here or not? Yeah. So once once you're faced with that choice, then it's like, well, where do I go if I'm going to go? I realised that I couldn't stay. Mm. Okay, that if I did stay, it would be I would be it would be too I'd be playing with the same people too much all the time. Mm. Much as I loved them and playing, and I still love them and playing with them. Yeah, I needed 
much more, I needed to be in a place where was much more cross-pollination of ideas, bands coming through, a place that would really kick your ass, you know, yeah, a yeah, place yeah. where you just, you don't feel comfortable that I'm the best vibraphone player around here, you know, mm-hmm. that it's not good for you to feel that too much. Yeah, size, <laughs> size of pond and all that. You need to go and be nobody somewhere. Yeah. And well, I, I, well, welcome to the Watford so, Jazz, so, so, Jazz so, Junction <laughs> podcast, Anthony. <laughs> Come and be a nobody on the Watford Jazz. Well, I thought the, the place to be a real, to absolutely be a nobody was New York. So I went to New York. Ah, yeah. I went okay. To New York. Mm. It like was 80s. in 1986. Right, okay. 1986, so the I went there, yeah. So that's yeah. what, sort of peak Marsalis young people coming up. Um, but I think, were they in New York at that time? Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, they they were, were. that was home yeah. to them, wasn't it, by yeah. then? Yeah. And then, yeah, it was a, it was a really on. good you know, time. I, 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 I mean, all sorts of people hanging out. Well, I didn't want to go to a school there. I just wanted to be physically there. Yeah, but because yeah. of the, v, the the legality requirements, I had to get had to stump up the money and go to a school for at least for a little while to get a student visa because you sure. couldn't kind of be on a a vacation visa forever. Yeah, listen, going and hearing people in the clubs. But, so I went to the new school in New York, and Larry Goldings was there, and Pete, oh, right. Peter Bernstein as well right, okay, was wow. there at the time. Big so there were some really, really good people around. Uh, Brad Meldor was yet to go; that he was sort of he went there after I left. So he's a whippersnapper. Yeah, he was a, a little bit of a whippersnapper. <laughs> <laughs> so it was an amazing time, amazing scene there, uh, and just New York. You you really are nobody in New York uh. in jazz. I mean, just, just the, the list of bass players, for example, that I had was unbelievable and I had this gig on a Friday night where we used to play at a place called Augie's on Broadway right and we did three sets and they paid the band it was a trio house trio plus sitters in yeah and they paid the band $45 $15 each plus passing the basket at the end of each set okay. so, you know, for tips um, so very low paid gig say, this, isn't, right? this isn't riches Not, but everyone's willing to do it. These the bass players I had on these unbelievable people who were just they'd to come and do this gig. Yeah, they'd come and do the gig. And a bit like you, you know, we were talking about earlier, presumably playing multiple gigs in a night to make that work financially, or would it take up the whole evening? I mean, was fifteen well, quid or fifteen dollars a whole night's pay normally? It's probably double it with the tips. Yeah, <laughs> get wow. up to a whole thirty. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, so struggling to pay rent ostensibly, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. But worth it in the sense of building. Well, up. it's I I I was never really self was never self sustaining in New York. Mm. I mean, I was just going through money, just there to learn, there to yeah, be there yeah. as long as I could, take lessons with David Friedman, take lessons with Kenny Werner, go down to the the, the village vanguard and yeah. these sorts of places and and listen. Uh, I really like the the small the piano duets the piano bars. Yeah, I love those. They had some. I don't know if they still have these licensing weird licensing laws where they had to get an extra license for a third musician. I mean, it was one of these sort of ridiculous yeah. things. It's highly likely um, Greg Folk was saying something similar about Isle of Wight and the PRS changes that meant something or other oh, could happen. I don't know. But yeah, local licensing no. can be such a daft nightmare. But anyway, yeah, two, the, two, two very, was under the threshold. Yeah, yeah two was under the threshold. So to have some some guy playing beautiful brushes on the drums would, would have been a violation of some city's rights somehow. <laughs> 
So we Crazy, couldn't have yeah. that in New York. So it was a lot of bass and piano. Yeah, yeah. I'd be hearing people like Kenny Barron and Cedar Walton, just just giants. Just what, sort of coming place. across them and just going, hey, you know. Yeah, well, I yeah, know they're, they're the piano barn. It's quite expensive to go, uh, but but you could you can go and get a fizzy water and nurse it all night and and just and listen to them. Yeah, club don't like you doing that, but no. <laughs> there, there, there's a nice guy who sits in Ronnie's um, called Chris. Funny enough. Yeah. And he's often to be found there. Uh, certainly was before lockdown. And he, you know, he'll happily nurse a cup of tea uh, all, all evening, and, and there for the there for the music. Because I don't think you could be there every night and, and drink and eat, or you become enormous and impoverished. Yes. Yeah. Well, this is one of the this is one of the big. I, it's a real conflict, I think, yeah. in terms of the jazz club. Now, the, what the club needs, they need money coming. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. So they need to sell food and they need to sell booze. But the but the food is takes all your attention sure like if the chef is going to be a good chef and prepare a really great meal you've got to give it all your attention aren't you yeah, when you're eating absolutely. it and while you're doing that you're also got a metal knife and fork on a plate and you're going to make some sound with those yeah and you probably make more sound than the triangle player in the symphony orchestra playing a piano yeah. triangle row certainly more than the pianissimo triangle row Right. So by doing that, by serving food during a musical performance, you're doing you're pulling in two directions at once. Correct. And one of them will will, will suffer. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I did discover the other night I ordered a burger. I was watching a uh, fantastic uh, Ben Wendell on the tenor and he had uh, Shy Meister on the piano. And just the song that they started to play, uh, my burger arrived. Yeah. But I suddenly, I looked down at the end of the song and it was quite, you know, one of those long sort of eight, ten minute pieces, maybe longer. Yeah. And I hadn't touched my burger, which yeah, is most yeah. unlike me. But, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Full, yeah. full credit well, to them. Really, they just helped yeah. me. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Just because didn't notice when it. you're naturally and, and being kind of properly in the moment, yeah. you don't want to do those two things at Correct. the same time. Absolutely. You, Point like, proven. Yeah. So now there's a gig, there's a little gig out in Sonning, the mill at Sonning. Yeah, and yeah. What they do at that gig is the, 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 I think they sell the meal and the gig as a package, yeah. but they're separate. Right, right. So right. they serve everyone their, their main course and then they go in and I think they do this. I yeah. think Because I think the break there, I think this is the one I remember correctly. Yeah. The break's quite a long break. So then they have their pud, they yeah. have their dessert in the break of the gig. So they're not doing the two things at the yeah. same time, but neither are they going out for the evening being all hungry, wanting some food. Yeah. So, it, it really works well to do it that way. Yeah. But, but then but I you, think it's we're going to struggle to get through two houses then in one night. Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's, it always comes It is a real conflict. I know somewhere like Ronnie Scott, they've got huge rent to pay. Oh, they've got crazy, absolutely yeah. ridiculous rent to pay. So they've, they've got to make as much money as they can. But while, while I'm on the stage there and I see people have got their back to you and the, and you're smelling their dinner and it, it's kind yeah. of... You, you, it's a compromise. Yeah, it's a real conflict there. You really... Mm. I want the dinner over and then the gig in in that's the better experience for everybody so did you have your vibraphone with you in new york or were you i bought it there you did you did actually take it yeah Yeah, because i i knew that i would get a better instrument Mm. at a better price by buying it there i understand so i just went with enough money to yeah. I think it's actually I did, I'm still playing the same vibraphone that I bought oh, yeah. for $750 I which is just unbelievable I haven't ever retuned the notes or anything I've, I've spent money like putting a new motor on it and things like that yeah. but and I've given it a lick of paint but 
apart from that, it's and it's been in lots of planes and things have been chucked around. It's Do been, people been... pimp their their vibraphones? Then have you got like eighteen colours or like oh, I don't think the colours of Ireland? Or something? No, no well, I mean you said you give it a lick of paint. You've just got it silver and gay. Yeah, yeah, just painted it silver how, and black. Like how boring! I know. So listen, this well, is my question. Think, well, what colour would you like then? I don't know. <laughs> something like think? in the Watford Jazz Junction pink would be we would be very suitable. Lights on it though. How about lights? Oh, the lights would be cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So long as they're LED and environmentally friendly. Well, don't your fancy crazy uh, you don't want to any bigger di- of a diesel generated driven power lights <laughs> right I've got to know this is one of my questions is it vibes player vibist vibrophonist or vibraharpist and do you care I do care so which one but, is it but I don't know I do care but I don't know I think I would go with vibist yeah I like vibist uh, because yeah. it's the vibist of Vi- anyway. vibist vibes player I'd probably go with Vibes Player, which are, I mean, because the thing is, if it depends who you're talking to. Well, someone really cool like do, do, me, you'd well, probably well, say okay, Vibes, some, right? Someone who knows what a vibraphone is, and, and therefore cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a very this is a very happy self-congratulatory <laughs> podcast. Yes. Yeah, man, I know what a vibraphone is. Hit me with your vibes. Therefore, I'm cool. Um, <laughs> I, I, well, then I would, you know show you the respect of saying vibist but <laughs> otherwise i'd have to say well you know i play this instrument and it's and in it's... the xylophone family and yeah 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 make some gestures and so i mean not not to judge the the coolness of our listeners but if you're not exactly sure what a vibraphone is what, what's a what sort of 101 well most people don't know what it is so what because it is well what what is it yeah what is how would you vibraphone? describe it it's an idiophone oh yes well <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! I've never felt more more stupid. I know an I idiot. Well, yes. Because right, okay. what sort of person do you have to be to move yeah, it around? Right. For yes, you? got it. Well, there, there, <laughs> that's that's a quote. I think is it was a nineteen twenty three. Was it? There was a. So it's a twentieth century instrument. So some people tried to classify all the instruments and the and they they they, they, they put percussion as idiophones and things it's i wouldn't put it as a i would call it a keyboard percussion instrument and i would okay. i would have a category. Yeah. where uh, you have all the instruments where you play percussively, where you hold sticks and you play them and they're laid out like a piano. So you yeah. could say these are the black notes and these are the white notes. Yeah. And that would include marimba, xylophone, vibraphone, glockenspiel, boobams. No, they're membranophones because they're actually drums, but they're laid out like a keyboard percussion. Okay. So, and you could have crotals, yeah. you can lay out cowbells in that, as a keyboard percussion yeah. with their... Marimbas can then be made of all sorts of things. It can be made of slate, or normally they're made of wood, of course, like rosewood or any sort of these hardwoods. Slate? Yeah, I think Welsh slate marimbas sound amazing. Yeah. I want to come back to the membranophone. Mem- 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 the membranophone. Yeah, I mean, that sounds yeah. awesome. So it's like little tiny tuned drums. Well, any, well all drums are membranophones. I suppose oh, I'm not cool. an expert on these classifications. but um, That's never stopped me. It's a good word, though. <laughs> membranophone. <laughs> membranophone. But boobams are just lots yeah. of drums. They're, they're sort of big, long drums, and they have, yeah, yeah, yeah. They have actual notes to them. Okay. So, so you lay them out. They are distinctly, you could say which, which notes they are. Mm. And then the so the vibraphone differs from the lot though because you've already said it got a major. Well, they all they all differ. No, but I mean like well, yes, properly the, differ. The, I mean this is the only one that I've well, yeah, that I know yeah. it's got like a bit of technology that's it's got more like class, a motor. <laughs> I mean what? Yes, it does have a motor. It has a system whereby the uh, oh, this is quite hard to describe in words with no visual aids. Okay, well, paint us we'll a have, picture. We we'll have to ask your listeners <laughs> to imagine a single 
vertical tube that is open at the top and closed at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is a resonating tube, a giant pan pipe. Okay. It is literally a giant pan. If you blow, if you take the resonance tubes off the vibraphone and blow across them, you will get the notes. Really? You will hear, yeah, of course. Yeah, because they they resonate with the note the that they're tuned to. Yeah. So, so you've you've got this you've got this big resonance tube. Mm-hmm. You've got the note sitting on top of it, and you've got a little disc in the top of the tube. Imagine a saucer in the top of this tube. Yeah. And the saucer is blocking it. There's only a little bit of air around the saucer, mm. around the disc. That is in its closed position. And then when it rotates, yeah. so it's vertical, and this disc or saucer-like thing yeah. is now pointing up and down, the whole tube is open. Sure. And that would be loud. So as it's closed, it's quiet. And as it's loud, as it's open, it's loud. Closed, quiet, open, loud, closed, quiet, open, quiet, loud, quiet, loud, quiet, loud is called tremolo. It's actually not called vibrato. It's called tremolo. Right. So that puts a tremolo effect on the notes. That's sort of wow, 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 wow. Or it could be wow, 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 And that's wow. what the motor does. That's it the turns the little discs. Yeah, that's what the motor does. Ah. It makes it, it... You live, you learn. Makes it mysterious. And can you just play it without the tremolo? Yes. Yeah, so you can just... Pull the plug out. Or, or Don't just... turn it on. Actually, you know... When it's I... a legit instrument if it wasn't tremolo. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. people say, oh, well, it's not a vibraphone then because it's not. Well, first of all, if we're going to be pedantic, which we probably should be. This is the place. Yes. Vibrato is actually the pitch varying, mm-hmm. not the volume. So it should be called a tremolophone. So it really <gasps> would be more accurately called a tremolophone. Oh, my God. I never thought yeah, that through. No, it doesn't sound as good, does it? No. Well, I don't know. No. A tremolo- I'd be a tremolist. Tremolist. I don't know. Uh, or, or, or tremol. A tremol. A tremolophonist. A tremol. A tremolophonist. A tremolophonist. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I think it's quite good. <laughs> hey, listen, I think we're onto something. Put that on my card. But it's, it's, it was invented, though, last that century. Very right? subtle, it's a 20th it? century instrument. Would be well subtle. Yeah, it comes from the 1920s. Really comes from the vaudeville era hmm. when what shows were doing in order to get the punters in were they were advertising novelty. We've got a new instrument you haven't heard before. Yeah, yeah. Come and hear it and see it. And, is what it's all about. It would be a vibraphone, everything, lots of new things. And it really wouldn't have gone any further. It would have just been a novelty, an mm. interesting little novelty that would have burned brightly for a season and it would have been gone. Mm. And it would, it would be in the Percussive Art Society Museum. <laughs> and that, that's, If it hadn't been for a man named Billy Gladstone... Okay. And now Billy Gladstone was a drummer. Buddy Rich actually said he was the best snare drum player he'd ever heard, which is quite something. Mm. Uh, I never heard him. He was a showman as well. Mm. And he was also an inventor. And he realized that the vibraphone needed a pedal mechanism. Before Billy Gladstone had a look at it, it was just, you would play the notes and they would all ring. They're metal notes. No damper pedal. Oh, well, so once you hit so it, it's it as carry if, on. Yeah, it's as if you get a modern vibraphone, put the sustain pedal down, leave it there, like put a weight on the sustain pedal and then try and play it. Just it's overwhelming. just it's a disaster. Yeah. You've got to dampen all the notes by, mm. by, by the mallet. So what, what it would have been was this, oh, look, we've got a vibraphone, plonk, 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 and then gone. That's yeah. what would have happened. Were it not for Billy? Had it not been for Billy. So, so he, he innovated and then took... He innovated, he... he did all sorts of things with, uh, I think he used some of the mechanisms from roller skates to 
you know, he was one of these guys that could look at things and see them and mm. imagine inventing things with them. So, so yeah, yeah very, we've got to be very grateful to Billy Gladstone in this story. Yeah. Because otherwise the instrument wouldn't have really been up to much. It wouldn't have been useful. So where where does someone like Lionel Hampton fit into this? You know, is he just like an early exponent? Lionel Hampton, well, he he learned to play the xylophone. Okay. Uh, I mean, do you like xylophonists, xylophone players? Are they like? Do I like them? Well, I don't know. Are they like the enemy? Is that like Luton? <laughs> oh, yes. Is that like of Luton Town to Watford enemy. FC? Oh my God! <laughs> yes. He, he she plays to, the violin. There's a big fight organised. Yeah. No, I can no, only no, imagine. They're actually the same people. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't. It matters not so much. It's no. Okay. If you're fighting yourself, if you should play the same, the same people. Well, xylophone's a pretty limited instrument by yeah. comparison to the vibraphone. Okay. I mean, it cuts through. Its sound is very brittle. It really cuts through. You've got to hear one. Mm. You've got a whole symphony orchestra, everybody playing loud. You will hear the xylophone. Yeah. And you wouldn't really hear the vibraphone. It wouldn't cut through in the same way. Yeah. The glockenspiel, similarly, is very, very high. You'll hear it. Even the whole orchestra's going for it. Loud and the glock comes in not that loud, you'll hear it. Mm. Okay, the Lionel Hampton benefited from there was a newspaper, the Chicago Defender, one of the first black newspapers in Chicago. And the proprietor of this newspaper said to the kids who were selling his newspaper, If you help me sell my newspapers, I'll pay for music lessons and uniforms and instruments and so on. So he funded a band for them. And this was it's, this is this story is all about how essential it is that we have music education. Yeah. Because that meant that the young Lionel Hampton had access to instruments. Because without access to instruments, we're not going to get very far. So he had access to a xylophone, and he had all these jazz records, and he he worked out jazz solos from from the records on yeah. the xylophone. Yeah. He worked them all out, and so. In 1930, he had a session with Louis Armstrong, and he'd been booked to play drums on this session in New York, in NBC Studios. And there was a vibraphone in the corner of the room, and the story is that that was just there to play the bong, 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 the chimes for for NBC. This 37-note instrument would have 34 notes that were never played on it. (laughs) He had these three notes to, to, which identified the radio station at that time, a bit like sailing by on... You know, when you're driving home from a gig and you hear the shipping forecast before you identify the, the tune, the recognizable tune before that tells you which channel you're listening to. So, But uh, Louis Armstrong saw the instrument and asked Hamp, he said, do you know what that is? And can you play it? And Hamp had never played it before in his life. But he was able to say, yeah, that's a vibraphone. And yeah, I can play it. <laughs> <laughs> Even though he hadn't ever played it, but he knew he could play it because it was the same as the, yeah. it was laid out the same as the, that's the xylophone so and he worked out a little intro to Memories of You which was the first Mm -hmm. ever recording on on the vibraphone but he wouldn't have been able to do that if he'd just looked at this sea of notes and been bewildered by them Mm. and not had you know not known the scales or anything like that so yeah I mean I I heard so he's pretty important well well, he's absolutely crucial because without him there wouldn't have been that first foray everyone came out of out of Lionel Hampton yeah and Milt Jackson started playing the vibraphone because he heard Lionel Hampton. Yeah, I mean Milt Jackson was a singer and a, a pianist, and he definitely would have been a musician. But mm. when he heard the vibraphone, he decided that 
that's what he wanted to play. Yeah, and the delights of the modern jazz. So quartet. yeah, it's the spark that lights the the the, the fire. You see, that, mm. uh, without that initial confidence in the mind of in the ear of Lionel Hampton, say, oh yeah, I can play a little intro on this thing. You can't. I've never touched it before. I can play. I mean, I was lucky like that as well. I went to a school where. They had a, a, an instrument room full of instruments and they could let you try one. Nice. Without buying it. Good. And that's how I learned I wasn't supposed to be a trumpet player. <laughs> has the world been saved, Anthony? Yes, it has. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? So it's like sort of a little sweetie shop well, ostensibly. Well, of, of I love the trumpet and I love the sound of a trumpet. Yeah. And I thought, oh yeah, trumpet. And so the school let me take home a trumpet and I had a few trumpet lessons and I hated it. I didn't hate the instrument, I just hated playing it. No. I hated the feel of it on my face. I hated the cold. I didn't like it. It wasn't for me. It was like you go into a clothes shop and you look at an item and whatever, a coat or something, and yeah. you try it on and you don't like it. Yeah, you don't buy it. So uh, because, of, because that was possible, then, oh, well, why don't you try drums and... And then I got into drums and percussion. And from then I was able to, well, the first time I tried a vibraphone, I was in instant good fit. That's like trying on a pair of shoes and your feet just like them straight away. Amazing. So then I, I also definitely wanted to ask you about practice. So if you're then, you know, young Anthony, so to speak, mm. the, you're, you're found something and you start to practice a bit more because you really like it. As you say, the mm. vibraphone fits. Mm. How much practice do you put in to get, or did you put in to get to the sort of state where you went, you know what, this is going to be my life. And then how much practice? I mean, just genuinely curious, do you end up doing today, you know, as, as an accepted professor how, of it? How know? much do I do these yeah. days? Versus, you know, the early days and what that what that looks like. So oh, I think it's, it's always really interesting. It's funny you should ask me because I've only just started timing it. Oh, really? Yeah, because I did, before I didn't really know. Oh, you, oh my God, you've got I, stats. I love it. Well... The thing is, once you start to measure something, though, <laughs> it changes the thing you're measuring. Oh, okay, it's a good point. Like the yeah. you know double slit experiment and quantum physics. Yeah, well, once you on. start to measure your practice time, we you know change, better than change the nature of it. We know better than to go down the physics route on the yeah. jazz junction. <laughs> <laughs> we always come up asking if if I have if I'm having a full day, like I don't have to go anywhere. Mm. Well, yesterday I did but yesterday I did six hours. Really? Yeah, but that's a bit. It's a. It's a bit like a job where your pay rate goes up with each hour you work, mm. and each subsequent hour that you work, you get paid more than the last one. And no, I've never had a job like that. But if you did have a job like that, you'd it'd be a big incentive to do overtime right you'd, you'd want to go all the way to the until you're exhausted yeah um, you're a trillionaire and it's a bit like that because the the benefit that i, I feel the, the chops everything just feels so much mm. easier just feels so easy to play when you practice a lot yeah, yeah, yeah. and and then you realize that there are these moments during the practice day where it's worth pushing through it where i feel like stopping Maybe my ear wants me to stop. And it's really worth just keeping at it and pushing through it. And yeah, it's 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 worth doing a lot. Yeah. And how easy did you find that then when you were, you know, a student of the instrument rather than a, a master, I guess? Well, yeah, I don't know. Still am a student. Well, I know. I thought, I thought you were going to say that. But, but you know what I mean? So like, you know, no, if, I mean, 15 I mean, okay, years that, old that or does or sound you like can't a be putting in six hours a day because no. you've got schoolwork. No, but... but 
there's a, you, there's a lot of little bits of time. There were a lot of little bits of time for me when I was at school. So I kept my vibes at school. And what I would do would be go early in the morning. Yeah. And do some practice before school and do yeah. a bit at lunchtime and then do some uh, later. And of course, well, I mean, I, I didn't really start playing vibraphone until I was 16. So by that okay. age, I already have some freedom and some mm. uh, given some responsibility. And once you get into sixth form, well, then you get access to school later and things like that. So, it, it, I mean, I actually did use the music department at school a lot when I wasn't supposed to. Yeah. And I had a key when I wasn't supposed to have one, and uh, you find uh, your ways around uh, it. And yeah, and well, no one was bothered. Did, I was, did you not think there was a reason they didn't give you a, a key, Anthony? I mean, how, <laughs> how bad were you? <laughs> <laughs> but no, you were finding a space to practice, and obviously not having to shunt well, the home it, between it, home and this is a, an issue for musicians. Is you're going to have to practice, and that mm. means that. If you well, the people live in flats, people playing drums, people playing brass instruments, you need to get a sound, you need to blow it properly, you need to play things properly, you need to actually develop a sound that, that makes a sound. Mm. So there are logistical things that uh, we've got to work around. It wasn't easy in New York in living in an apartment sure. to get practice time. But um, just I've heard horror stories people you know with neighbors complaining and mm. so on but i'm very lucky here at the moment at this point in my life i'm very lucky i've got a nice room within a room studio in my back garden in, that's what you need North right? Walkford. so <laughs> yeah well if you peer over the table you'll see i've got a, a lovely very honking loud uh, tenor saxophone yeah the, um yeah. my neighbor i've never had a conversation with them about yeah playing music or jazz specifically let alone you know putting in practice but they're on holiday at the minute and I had to text them something and they uh, they sent me back a, a video of someone playing the saxophone on the beach because they obviously know that I play oh, because right. they've got no right. they've had no choice in realizing yeah. that, that that's what they hear yeah but it is something I have to do very in a considerate way yeah well, I and I feel for anyone does that you know. does that I mean does that bother you when you're practicing are you always is it, so is it in the back of your mind you're, you're practicing away and you're working on your thing and you think, oh, that sounds nice. Oh, that's yeah. oh, that one wasn't as good. Oh, that one was better. And at the same time as those thoughts, you have. Do you have the thoughts of like, I wonder, are they getting angry next door? <laughs> do you have those as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I grew up in the countryside, right? Yeah. And our nearest neighbour was a good quarter of a mile away. I mean, genuinely, yeah. and that's a luxury for noisy kids and being a noisy family. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But Zoe Rahman was saying something similar that you know she grew up in the countryside, and so they were, you know, her sister was able to get up at five a.m. and really play the piano. Yeah. The only people to piss off were her, you know, her siblings and her mum and dad. Yeah. And therefore, me honking my saxophone or even yeah. plugging in a really loud bass guitar or whatever it was when I was, you know, farting around with such things as a teen. Yeah. If I, I wouldn't find that space to express and develop here, which is no criticism of, of urban living, but it's, it's a consideration and it, it, it alters your approach. It does. It, it really does. It's in your mind. And uh, I'm really, really lucky with the studio I've got now in that I can just totally and completely focus at any time of the day or night and that mm. is just a wonderful wonderful thing i know that i'm not bothering anybody yeah i just know that and, and i know that because i they can't hear me i've put i've put the, the stereo on like full blast in that room and close both the doors and go outside and you can only it has to be utterly silent and you have to stay completely still for you to even know mm. there's anything on so 
that's a, that's a really good thing. I found that when I've lived in apartments or with shared walls or things like that, I've always had a policy of speaking to the neighbours. Mm-hmm, like as mm-hmm. soon as I move in, and I've said, "Look, I'm a musician. I need to practice. Tell me, please. Don't let me annoy you and not tell me. You know, just and try to establish a relationship. And that's yeah. always done the trick. Absolutely." It's always done the trick that way around. Uh-huh. It hasn't always done the trick from them not bothering me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they put on ACDC at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, it's one of these. It's one of these things. Yeah, it's interesting. The um, I was having a, a conversation in our last podcast uh, with the, the guys from a, a production team in America called Unc D. Um, but we were talking about jazz education and how it assists and hinders. So I guess my question for you is: Is a jazz professor you know, at the Royal College of Music here in England. What, what is the balance to be, to be struck between developing skill in the way that we practice, but then also encouraging people to not practice the actual instrument, but to reflect and find the space for their musicianship to develop and the stories to be told? Or do you think the practice is a non-negotiable and that you live beyond the practice? Can you ask again? <laughs> well, I don't know. I always <laughs> think, you know, when you're working flat out at something, yeah, like when you're in the zone, you can do it, but it's not sustainable. And with practice, if you practice at a heavy level, let's just say six hours a day, yeah, you will get technically very competent in the way that you said, you know, you're, you're buzzing ostensibly this morning. Yeah. You know you can do but it. I couldn't do that but, every day. I right. That. And, that, and that's what I really want to, to ask you about is, because I guess you can become obsessive about practicing. Oh, at yeah. some point, oh, yeah, you all you're doing yeah, you is practicing, yeah, but you're yeah, not yeah. developing as a musician and being more critical in what you're doing. And you, do, do you know what I mean? I think well, it's a really hard space well, for a musician. Developing towards what? Something interesting to say, to tell, yeah. to feel life. You mean it, as a jazz musician? You mean yeah. as, uh, improvising? Sure, the whole shebang. Well, yeah, there's a balance, isn't there? I mean, if you can... let's You, you do need technique. Mm-hmm. So let's say, on many, many aspects just like to technique, let's say I said, okay, I want to be able to play a scale from the bottom of the instrument to the top, up and down again. How fast can I do that? How accurately can I do that? And how sustainably can I do that? And I always want those stats to be getting better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the same way that someone goes to the gym and they, they want to be able to lift more or have more endurance or do longer or do faster or whatever. And is that the goal? Ultimately, I mean, is that a good day when, all oh, right, I'm faster than I was? Is that necessary? Necessary? Well, it's not, certainly not. It's certainly not a bad thing. Hmm. But it's not everything, is it? It's like it's, it's only a means to an end. It's, yeah. Because it's, I'm, I'm not going to do that in the gig. I'm not going to say, right, everybody. <laughs> Watch this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to play some tunes by George Gershwin today, but. <laughs> but you're going to get a scale. You're gonna get, I'm going to put this timer on the wall and you're going to see how many notes I can play in a minute you're right <laughs> and then you're going to be really impressed but it's sort of the question <laughs> bubbles out of this thing because several people have said as they've sort of matured I guess as musicians because I often ask people almost always about what their developmental story is being you know yeah. back at school and whatnot but loads of them just say you know as you get older it's not about playing lots of notes and showing your technical brilliance there's a sort of period of time and reflection that happens perhaps in your 20s whatever mm. when you, it, you it's not slowing down as much as finding the space for for music to come out and and, and change and develop, yeah, it's well, less that, about technique. At that it's point. how it's going to feel. It's how it's going to feel to the listener. It's how it's going to feel to everybody. It's, mm. 
it's a it's about the feeling and the technique will always aid to that like it's always better more technique is always better than less technique okay i'd never sort of thinking oh i wish i couldn't do this right that's nicely <laughs> you know, put you know what i mean <laughs> however yeah. however it can be very seductive and the most obvious illustration of this is high note trumpet players yep who because it gets a reaction because it is really impressive it's quite thrilling when you hear a trumpet player go up and nail high notes it's thrilling and it is impressive it always gets a reaction so then it can kind of be relied on as a sort of party piece thing that will always get you out of trouble or something. I'm mm. not going to go to trumpet player. So that's supposed to be equivalent. That's kind of an obvious example of it. That's the one yeah. that popped into my mind. The equivalent of that for, for a vibraphone player would be sort of playing really fast, going yeah. up and down really, really fast. Uh, or, um, you know, frenzy it, of... Yeah. Oh. The mallets going everywhere. And... And everyone likes a bit of that, but where, where is it coming? What feeling or what story are we telling here? What feeling are we trying to evoke? Um, is it is it powerful? Is it emotionally powerful? Is it creating a? Is it is it? Are we playing with a strong character? A strong? Is it playing characterfully? Mm. There's no difficulty with that. There is no conflict between technique and shall we say, expression, or mm-hmm. I was going to say beauty, but it might not be beauty or express, say expression. Yeah. So technique and expression. Does, te- does technique get in the way of expression? It can do, but lack of technique is much more likely to get in the way of, ex- of expression, where you hear something and you just can't play it. Because yeah. <laughs> that happens all the time, you know. Mm. I'll put myself to the sword all the time in my solos, you know, where you just you, you can hear something, but... Can't, can't quite, quite execute it. Yeah. yeah. That's nicely nailed. That's a very, very good answer. And you get 10 points. Well, thank you. That's all right. Now, with points in mind, you know what's coming up, don't you? Mm. It's time for Chris's vibing and emotional hot seven quiz, Anthony. Oh, yes. Well, I heard you did. I, heard I know. It's why you've did, come did, on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, all it's about. Just, yeah. Trying to get yourself on the leaderboard. Okay, let's go. All right. Here we go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. Question one. Milt Jackson or Gary Burton? I'm going to clone... I'm going to combine them into one super being. Cheat. Question two. Xylophone (laughs) or glockenspiel? Xylophone. Huh. Question three. (laughs) Not quite at the halfway mark. Uh, Dmitry Shostakovich or Leonard Bernstein? I'll go with Leonard. Question four, which can officially be judged as the middle question. I am picking up good vibrations by by the Beach Boys or feels... By Farrell Williams, Big Sean, and Katy Perry. You have to choose a song. I'll go with the Beach Boys. On that one. Well, I think we're all picking up good vibrations from that. Yeah. All right, we've got three left: <laughs> Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells or Benjamin Britten's War Requiem. With War Requiem. Own Tubular Bells. Britain. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Beautiful piece of music. That's not to judge Tubular Bells. Right, question six: Kerr's maximum mallet count: four, five, six, or even more. How many mallets can you hold? Sensibly? Or, yes. Or, well, not like, you know, I mean, you should probably you mean 50 to, when you say to play. Hold, to play, four. You are. You've never oh, got, you may have been tempted to go to a fifth one or a no, sixth one. Because the, the, the mechanics break down after four. It's, it's, oh, we need a camera for this. Rot- rotational movement. I can't uh, use, I'm Like opposable I'm, thumbs. Yes. I'm a, if we put your uh, index finger and thumbs out, you, rotating them, if you put a third one, hmm. 
it, it doesn't quite work. I think we're going to have to. I mean, you're going to have to be demonstrating this in real can, life. People, you can write specific pieces mm. where where you're holding a third mallet in mm. one or both of your hands, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Or you could you could write pieces for holding four mallets in each hand, but you wouldn't be able to play very much. I you, see. You, you wouldn't have any dexterity, or, or you would be so restricted. Or I would. I yeah. know, somebody might have a technique. It's, I don't know. I don't about, know. It's just maybe just mm. putting enough practice. <laughs> All right. Okay. Final question. <laughs> Um, which single percussion instrument, vibes aside, uh-huh. should a jazz band never be without? Will it be a shaker, a cymbal, a snare drum, or a bass drum? What would be the most important of those four instruments to have in any well, jazz well, band? A, a, a drum kit? A drum, no drum kit! Drum kit. It's, it's got to be a single a, percussion instrument. A, it, is, it is a single percussion no, instrument. No, it's, it's a kit of creation. It's, 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 My gosh, another cheat. You, you don't this book, hasn't you helped don't you. four drummers on a gig. Okay, well, if, if I had to, if I had to, if I had to, I'd have the cymbal. You'd have the cymbal? Yeah. All right, you just about save some sort of victory from the jaws of I've done a gig with a drummer who played only a cymbal. That's cool. That's yeah. what I was looking for. Leon Parker. Do I know Leon Parker? He, an amazing drummer in New York. He actually did that Augie's gig that I was uh. such a part of. It. And uh, he turned up with the smallest drum kit that I'd ever seen. And I thought, first of all, I thought, oh no, he hasn't bought a proper kit. But then when I heard how many sounds he could get out of this non-drum kit, I was completely sold on this minimalist idea. And and then later I actually didn't do a gig with him playing only cymbal. He had another drum there as well. But later I heard that he would, he'd gone and he was doing gigs on a cymbal. Yes, I like it very much. Yeah. yeah. Now listen, what have you been? Well, what have you been telling us about? What have you been telling us about the 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 cymbal brilliance? I have done some simple brilliant uh, <laughs> addition, and I've worked out your score. Okay, my score. You got 20 out of 21. And ah. the reason is because I had to knock off... Are you taking points off because of my, I did clo- have to my knock clone? Off. Well, yeah, it would be a fantastic clone, though. If you could... if you well, Not a clone. A, a hybrid person. A hybrid, yes. A Milt, a Milt Burton. Yeah, but jazz robots. I mean, any, it, it, it fills me with fear. I might even take off another point. Um, but anyway, in <laughs> fact, go, I'm going it could to... go horribly wrong, That's though. how I roll. If you start to do experiments combining geniuses, mm. it could go horribly wrong. Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> well, there's, there's a discussion for another time. I've already got another quiz written. Okay, I am going to give you 20 out of 21 because oh, I'm so you. kind. Thank um, you. Which is excellent. <laughs> um, one of our highest scores of recent times, especially... In the Anthony Kerr vibes emotion hot seven quiz, yeah. um, and it puts you top of the leaderboard. Aren't those some? Aren't those just some a matter of opinion though? Never. Like, I this mean, is because it's like choosing a piece of music over another. It's not exactly. It's, a, it's objective. It's not like you know getting a question right as to who won the FA Cup in whatever year or. Something like that. This is you're very linear, Anthony. <laughs> I, I'm going to dock another mark. Oh, um, right, you're I, back to 19 I out of 20. Zero by the end of this. Dear, oh dear. I'm so sorry, listeners, and I apologise <laughs> on behalf of of his board, the bawdy nature of his his report. Point deducted for the insolence. <laughs> This is an objective quiz based on Chris Newstead's assessment. <laughs> okay, now my set question, Anthony. You and I had a coffee the other week, and it was very lovely. But what I came away thinking about when we'd had that cuppa was I don't think I'd had such a sort of calm and soothing cuppa in a long time. Mm. And I would say you were zen. Um, And that might be after a lifetime of jazz 
meditation. <laughs> but more seriously, what do you see the role of music and indeed the, the, the potential role of musicians in helping people with their mental wellness? Discuss. Numerous roles. Go on. Numerous, numerous roles. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is since we've just come out of these lockdowns, mm. I was thinking about this walking down here, I was thinking about the, the horrific isolation, the horrific sense of isolation that has sort of wounded so many people. Mm. And and I was thinking about when people, I was thinking about actually a strange parallel between football and church. And namely those two places are places where people sing together. And when people sing together, they breathe together. And it creates a, a feeling of unity. It's actually some of the same tunes on the football terraces as in the church. Mm. And it's just it's so opposite from that isolation. And I mean, that's something I really, I really, of course, it goes without saying that I really miss playing music with people. But just it was so graphically illustrating that and people we are not we are social beings we don't exist in isolation and music brings people together or it should mm. okay having said that i'm just thinking well i've been practicing on my own for a year like every day uh it's been very much working on solo playing but even mm. that brings people together. you play it too that yeah. runs out of steam yeah. That even okay, even that okay. I'm practicing my solo thing. I want to work on my solo playing. That whole project runs out of steam without playing to people. Yeah, 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 yeah. Then I say, and if I say, hey Chris, come and have a listen to this piece. What do you think of this? I've been working on this, and I play it to you. That will put fuel in that fire again. So it's not a solo thing. So it's really music is all about connections, about people's connections with each other, mm. but the connections within the band and, and the connection with the audience as well. And this, when, they, when you're playing a concert to people or playing a gig to people and they are giving their attention, they're in the band basically. They're part of it. Just come back to the why it's so bad for eating food at the same time. <laughs> yeah, because that's such a disconnect. But it, it's we've come out of these lockdowns. We've come. We, we have. We. I mean, we had mental health crisis before the lockdowns, right? Yeah. So how are we doing now? And and one thing we need to do as human beings, we can't exist in isolation. We need to do these things that make us feel uh, connected. And therefore safe and therefore able to rest, to digest food, to heal. Because if we're in a state of threat all the time, we can't do those things. Mm-hmm. And we can't live long term like that. And, and we're, we're, there's a real, one thing that I've really learned in the last year and a half is there's a real connection between the feeling of connectedness and health yeah you know we sleep well when we feel we're in a good connected safe group and it's not about uh, you know you can have a life where there's no actual danger but you still people have this a lot there's no actual danger but they're not feeling too good they're not feeling very safe yeah, because they're not feeling connected. Yeah, and music is about connect connection. Mm. Yeah, this is this is something that now we're we're coming back, and it's been a really overwhelmingly lovely thing to be doing gigs to people again. Yeah. Oh, you know, I even found that connection during the streamed gigs. 
I did some gigs over Zoom yeah. and and a gig from Ronnie's and a gig from the Six or Six where there was no audience, and you could and I did feel a connection. Just you know, you see the cameras there and you see the mics and you know that's being streamed and you know people are there. Mm. So yeah, connection. I'll take it. I'm going to get you back on another time, I think, Anthony, perhaps with uh, someone from the sporting world as well. Because as you were talking, I was thinking there's so many connections, to use your word, between the communion you find in sport and the communion you find in music. And that can be both as the performer or the sports person. Yeah. And of course, there the are loads of parallels. Loads of parallels between sport and music. Yeah. Loads of parallels in terms of practicing as well and yeah. technique. Um, I think about the sport metaphor a lot. Yeah. And indeed, of course, the sheer wealth you get as a Premier League jazz musician, right? It's embarrassing. <laughs> right. Embarrassing the amount of money you get. So, okay, it's top three album time. Um, oh. Which albums do you go back to again and again, Anthony Kerr? Which albums do you go back to again and again and again? Um, John Coltrane. Nice. Which one? Which uh, one? Top, absolute top of the list is transition. Mm. Well, and, and that track, that that one track, and even more specifically, the second of the two saxophone solos that he plays on that track is just so far beyond words. Um, mm. Other albums, okay. Are these? Are, what are they, are there, these there's like no three, ordering to these, but these, these are, are ones just I go back three to. that are coming to your mind. Go now. back to yeah. We have to have Brad Meldo in there as well. Which one? Songs, songs. Art of the Trio, Volume Three. Very specific. Okay. We'll have that one. So, yeah. Are you looking forward to? Are you going to hear him in the London Jazz Festival? Which will have happened by the time this is broadcast. But you, you, I haven't planned to. No. no. I hate to hear him. I haven't heard him live. I just yeah. listened to a lot of his stuff, so I'm quite excited. Anyway, wait, 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 so, which venue is he playing? Uh, Barbican. Barbican. I think on the right. final day, on right. the twenty one of November. Right. So I have a third album. Yes, you do. Should be a vibes player, shouldn't it? Which well, you didn't ask me. You didn't ask me which ones I'm taking to a desert island. You said no. which ones do I go back? Correct. To? It's a very which, subtle difference. Which ones do I go back to again and yeah. again and again? Here's to life, Shirley Horn. I go back to that again and again and again. Here's to life, mm. Shirley Horn. It's locked in. Mm. That's a very powerful Our piece of music. Yeah, and unique. Your your top three. No one's ever had them. Really? Yeah. All three well, of none albums. of them. No. No one's had They've had the musicians. We've had Brad and John before. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you have. Okay. Yeah. It's time to sort out the house band. The which house I band. really know is why you came to do the podcast. Yeah. So, some say, as I certainly do every week, that it's the most eclectic and extraordinary fantasy band in podcast show business. Right now, on the piano, we've got Jerry Allen. On the drum kit, mm. Paul Motion. Mm-hmm. On the double bass, Ron Matthewson. Yes. On tenor saxophone, Alex Garnett. Yes. On bass saxophone, you didn't see that coming, did you? No, Joe Tempoli. No, I didn't know. On the trumpet, the late John Hassel. And then we've got a trio of singers, would you believe? We have Norma Winston, Carmen McRae and Betty Carter. Wow. Plus we have a harpist, <laughs> Alice Coltrane. Uh-huh. Now, your task... You need a composer. Well... Hold on, hold your hold your horses, Kurt. Um, your your task is to remove a musician if you fancy, but to bring in a new player uh, from any point in, in in history. But that can also be a composer. It could be an artist. But you can add to the band, but only one. 
I can add to the band. You can add to the band. Can, can we just tell me the instruments we have again? At the minute, we've got piano, drums, bass. Yeah. We've got uh, tenor and bass saxophones. We've uh-huh. got trumpet. Uh-huh. Uh, three singers and a harp. Hmm, I might add a trombone. Ooh. Yeah. We'd be missing a trombone, to I be fair. I think a trombone would be nice. Go on, then. Not many to choose from. Who will we have on trombone? Let's go Let's go with a Brit. Let's put Mark Nightingale in there. Oh, Mark is back yeah, in the band. Let's put Mark Nightingale in the band. The, uh, I think I think it was James Morrison who removed Mark Nightingale. <laughs> oh, did he? Oh, he's uh, in this And band, put himself no. in, which was huge plaudits to, to James Morrison. Um, but saying, yeah, no, actually, not you would Mark never Nightingale. remove Mark Nightingale from well, a band. You know, this is, this is, this is, this is, well, that is what happened. But that's so only because he, he wants to play with Dizzy Gillespie. Well. See, he could, do, he could do the arranging for this eclectic lineup. This is true. And the if it saves us, you see, you if it saves us pennies by doubling up on skill sets. Well, we have to pay him. Well, the Watford, Watford yeah. Jazz Junction is a very fair pair to the Fantasy House Band, but we don't like to pay in excess. Um, so, moreover, listen, thank you for being with us today, Anthony. Thank you, be, Chris. Um, if you have liked what you've listened to, subscribe, lest you were to miss an episode. Uh, and if you want to know more about Watford Jazz Junction, as I say, check out our website at watfordjazzjunction.com or follow us on our various social media. And you can always drop us a line at jazzwatfordlive at gmail.com. Um, next time, it's only our festive holiday special. Ho, ho, yes. Um, but until then, it's goodbye, lovely listener. It's goodbye, the lovely Anthony. Goodbye. Stay safe and remember to play for something new. Bye. Bye.